Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Episcopal Church in Vero Beach, Florida. We are glad to have you join us. Our hope is that this sermon will instill you with a profound sense of God's love and that you might receive and reflect His glory to your community. From St. John's Gospel, Jesus said, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning, friends. This week, uh, David, King David, is in our rearview mirror. If you were here this summer, we had a series all summer about David and his family, his, well, dysfunctional train wreck family. And last week, we looked at, we concluded that series with last week's son number four, whose name was Solomon. And Solomon, if you remember, had a, had a decision to make, right? He had seen the, uh, the wreckage his father and three prior brothers had caused in their life. And he said, you know, maybe there's a better way to do this. And if you recall, he asked God not for money, power, or hot chicks like his father did. It's Greek, chick. Come on, man. You guys awake? He didn't ask for that. In fact, what what Solomon asked for was something profound, which was wisdom. And if you are here, if you dig even a little deeper into that request that Solomon made, when he says, hey, God, give me wisdom, what he's really asking for is intimacy with God. Because you can only have wisdom, intuition, and insight from God if you're close to him, right? In other words, to, to have an intimate relationship with God, or anybody else for that matter, you've got to be close. You've got to be near. You've got to be with them. You've got you've to abide with them, which I'm going to get to today. I'll, I'll never forget an example of this. Uh, Kathy and I, when we, right before we were first married, we went to a marriage, it wasn't a counselor, but it's sort of a marriage how-to class with this woman. I've forgotten her name. And she sat us down in this room, and she said, so... Chris, tell, or Kathy, tell Chris about something. And it was totally innocuous, like, I don't know, what she liked for dinner or something just ridiculous. And she told me, and then the woman said to me, now would you please repeat that back to her? And I said, sure, I got this. And I repeated back to my wife exactly what she had said to me. And the woman turned to Kathy and said, is that what you said? And she said, nope. (laughs) And and man, that really was profound for me, and that's to my point this morning, that to hear someone, whether it's a, your wife or your children or a friend or God, you've got to be in an intimate relationship with them so you can hear them, so you can listen to them when they speak and when they direct you. So we're going to tackle this today, this idea of being close to God, intimate with God in the sense of, you know, being, hearing him when he says, But we're going to look at it in a different way, another way which you probably never thought about before, but Jesus actually tells us, which is why we're going to tackle it today. He says, Jesus says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Listen to that again. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and, Jesus says, I abide in in him. What in the world does that mean? <laughs> I mean, what is, what is, I think this is an obvious point. What does drinking blood, I mean, it sounds gross, right? It sounds kind of morbid, but what does drinking blood have to do with, a, with an intimate relationship with God? Well, you're going to see in a moment that this idea of drinking blood and eating flesh is the most intimate thing 
you can ever experience with your Father in heaven. So, have your attention yet? Three points today uh, about this idea of drinking blood and relationship with God. Firstly, what does it mean to drink blood? Secondly, how does drinking blood, what does it have to do with Jesus? And then finally, what does it mean to abide in him? So what is this deal with drinking blood? What's that about? Secondly, how does drinking blood relate us to Jesus? And then thirdly, what does it mean to abide in him? Ready? Three points. Let's go. First thing, what does it mean to drink blood? Well, I mean, it sounds weird, but it's an extremely important point. But before we get to that question, let me ask you a question, and it's this. Where is your soul? My soul's in Chicago, Father. No, I don't mean that. I don't mean like what, what place do you like. I mean, where, where is your soul? I mean, you believe you have one, I presume, right? That you have a soul. There's something to you besides just this fleshy stuff. And if, and if you're not sure if you believe in a soul, I'll prove it to you because uh, you ever been to a funeral? You ever been to a funeral and you've seen a loved one or even somebody you don't know who's laid out their body? You look at them. Are they there? And the answer is no. Why not? Well, the reason they're not there is because we are not just carbon units, right? We're not just flesh and blood and water and all other jazz. There's something more to humanity, to the human being, and that something more is your soul, your suke, your zoe, whatever you want to call it. Lots of different words in Greek for it. But the question for right now is this. Where is that sucker? <laughs> it's, a, it's a very important question. Where is the soul? Where is your soul? Well, if you've never wondered that question before, I'm going to tell you what the Bible says about that question. The Bible says, listen, the Bible says that your soul, my soul, the soul is in your blood. What? I'll get, hang on. That your soul, that any animals too, the suke, life force, whatever you want to call it, is in the blood. And there's lots of examples biblically. I'll give you just one, and then I'll show you what I mean by this. In Leviticus chapter 17, verse 10. You've all got that one on your refrigerator, right? Leviticus chapter 17, verse 10. You know that one by heart. Um, Leviticus chapter 17, verse 10 says this. If any man eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood, and I will cut him off from amongst his people. Why? Here's why. For the life of the flesh, listen, is in the blood. Genesis chapter 9 says this. Deuteronomy chapter 12 says it. The idea I want you to hear me is this, simple. And the biblical idea is that the blood of an animal or a human being contains the life, the soul, the spirit, suke, zoe, the Greek words. And it might sound strange to 20... If you're thinking, oh, come on, Rodriguez, you're just... This is, that's ancient history. Nobody believes that. Oh, yes, they do. I'll prove it. Two examples. Firstly... Um, Anybody know anything about Native Americans, Native American culture? Uh, what, one of the things they do is when they're out hunting a deer, a deer or a bear or something ferocious that they kill, what do they do to it? They kill it, they slit its throat, and they drink the blood. Why? Well, to get the spirit of the bear in them or the spirit of the deer in them. 
No one ever kills like a rabbit and drinks some blood. That doesn't make any sense. But you might kill a bear or a deer or something strong to get that suke, zoe, spirit, life force in you. Or, give you another example. Ready? What about, what's a vampire do? What does a vampire do? Now, vampires aren't real. Okay, let's just, let's just settle that one. I know there are, there are people, and I've met them. There was one in New Jersey. He was crazy, but he, uh, he thought he was a vampire. He had his teeth shaved, pointy, and white makeup and, you know, the whole kind of thing. But he's not a, he's not a, he's not a zombie or a vampire just because he dresses like that any more than, uh, you know, I'd be, you know, if I put on a cowboy hat, I'd be Dolly Parton, right? You, you can dress up like it. It doesn't make it real. But, what is a, but to come back to the point, and this actually is my point, that the human spirit knows this is true. Here's why. One of the things that cultures have always feared are vampires. What does a vampire do? Comes along to a person, bites them, and in so doing, sucks out their soul. The point I want you to see here is that it might sound strange and weird, to a 21st century post-enlightenment smart people like us. But the reality is all human cultures, Native Americans, Europeans, with vampires and so forth, believe that the spirit is in fact in the blood. The soul, the zuke, is in the blood. And that's my first point. They just got to get that because the Bible says that your soul and my soul, the life blood of a person, the, the life of an animal or being is in its blood. So leads me to point number two, what in the world does this drinking blood have to do with Jesus? Well, here's where it gets interesting. <laughs> Jesus, remember, is a first century Jew. He knows you can't drink blood. It's forbidden by the Old Testament. He knows that, and yet Jesus drops the bomb, man. Boom, he drops it. And he says, whoever eats, whoever feeds on my flesh, sarks, skin and bones is what it means, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, here's the zinger, abides in me and I in him. <laughs> Do you see what he's just said? He's just said exactly what they're forbidden from doing. If you eat his flesh and drink his blood, he is saying his spirit and yours are joined. You abide in him. I'll get to that in a minute. And he abides in you. Friends, that is absolutely mind-blowing. And in fact, because Jews were, were forbidden from drinking the blood of animals, let alone people, for crying out loud, because the blood is where the life, the soul, the power, the spirit of, an, of a being exists. The blood is the power. And Jesus says, if you drink my blood and feed on my flesh, my life, zoe is the Greek word, is in you. In other words, if you drink Jesus' blood, put it this way, his spirit, his life, his power abides in you. And, here's the weird thing, you abide in him. It might sound surprising and unbelievable, but it actually, what Jesus says, makes logically perfect sense with the Old Testament's teaching on blood in the first place. And he says, if you drink my blood, I will be in you. And of course, these people are all Jews that are around him, and they hear him say this, and they say, oh man, Jesus has lost his mind. Jesus of Nazareth has gone off the res, and they say, Lord, Jesus, man, we, we were with you so far. 
We don't mind the casting out demons and all that kind of stuff. Son of God, yeah, we're with you there. But this drinking blood stuff, this is a hard saying. And most of them leave. Why? Because they know exactly what he's saying. And if you're having a hard time, if you hear this idea of drinking blood and you think, oh, come on, Rodriguez, this is just too much. If you're questioning that, you're in good company because <laughs> that's what everybody else did too. But let me, let me challenge you with the question. You ready? If you are confronted with the data that Jesus, uh, his, uh, consuming the blood of Christ, gets his blood into you, let me turn it around on you and ask you a question. And it's this. Does Jesus lie? Yes or no? Up, down, on off, on off right? Does Jesus lie? If the answer is no, and I would hope it would be, um, if the answer is no, then you've got to believe in what he says, even if it is, as the people in verse 60 say, a hard saying. You know, it's interesting. If you look at Scripture, people accused Jesus of being crazy. They accused him of being a blasphemer. They never accused him ever of being a liar. And so if Jesus doesn't lie, and I submit to you this morning that he does not, that if he says to you, drinking his blood and eating his flesh puts his life force into you, that his blood literally mixes with yours, friends, we've got to believe it. Christianity is so weird and so profound at the same time. Here is a God who lives, who creates the universe, and yet comes to earth as a baby and dies on the cross, sheds this very same blood to save you and I from our sins. And then later on, when he has ascended into heaven, he feeds us with this very same body and blood to sustain us. God is a God, an earthy God, who comes to us in these strange, bizarre, but actually kind of senses that really kind of jive. So here's the question this morning. Where is, where is this blood? Where is this body? Well, the church has always believed that the Eucharist, which we're going to celebrate in a few moments, consecrated by a priest or bishop in apostolic succession, makes the bread and the wine somehow in some mysterious way become the body and blood of Jesus Christ in a supernatural way. And if you think this is some sort of Roman Catholic-y thing, that's not true. The church always believed this, always until the 18th century. John Calvin, reformer, believed it. Luther believed it. The Orthodox Church in the, in the East, they believe it. So my point is, we as Anglicans believe that Christ is really and truly present in the bread and the wine. And that when you come to the rail this morning as a baptized Christian who's been saved by the blood of Jesus on the cross, and you put your hands out and I say the body of Christ, the bread of heaven, you are consuming his body. And then when you receive the chalice, you are consuming wine, which has been somehow changed into his blood, that you are receiving his life, Zoe, force into you. My goodness, stop and think about that the next time you come up here and you're worried about what you're going to have for dinner tonight. <laughs> what an astounding God we worship. A God who becomes a man. A God who becomes food for you and I. And that's why, and that leads me to my third point then. What does this blood of Jesus actually accomplished? Well, Jesus says something actually very profound. He says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. That word for abide is a Greek word, menu. And uh, it's got a very wide semantic range, meaning it can mean a lot of different things. They're all related, but it's not a one-word-to-one-word one, one -word translation. That word to abide means closeness, okay? 
It means intimacy, yes. It means to dwell, to hang, to lodge, to remain steadfast. But it also means to have an intimate relationship with God. It means to be close to him. You know, if you were to ask most people, if you were to ask somebody, how do you have a close relationship with God? What do you do? What would they say to you? I read my Bible. Okay, that's good. I pray. That's good too. But very few people would say, I come to the rail and receive the body and blood of Jesus. But that's what he says. And that word menu means to be with, next to, under, besides Christ. It means to have Jesus come to you on his terms, not yours. It means his intimacy with you is based on eating and drinking the very life force within him. This power, this insight, this wisdom that he gets. Look, if you want to, be, if you want to make a good decision about something in work before you make it, come and receive communion. It is a spiritual gift. Solomon was after intimacy with God. My goodness, friends, it gets no more intimate with God than receiving the body and blood of Jesus into yourself where he comes into you and dwells in you. The Eucharist is the closest you will ever have until you see him in heaven. The closest relationship you will ever have with God. Whether you feel it or not, whether you understand it or not, and you don't, because to abide in Jesus means to rest, to remain, to continue, to be persistent, to endure, to be strong, to be fearless, to be unstoppable. These are the results of a sacramental life of the body and blood of Christ. If you eat his flesh and drink his blood, this is what he says. He will give you life. He will you will abide in him and he will abide in you. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your word which challenges us, which seems so strange but also so incredibly comforting. Jesus, abide with us in the sacrament of the altar. Give us the power through the sacrament to do good. Give us the power through the sacrament to endure. Give us the power through the sacrament to be courageous. Give us patience and courage. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.